Jesus is, is it well with you? Because it can be. That is exactly what the gospel does. It makes you be able to say a statement that you could never say before. Because it wasn't well with your soul apart from Jesus Christ. Because of what he's done, Jew and Gentile that we've been looking at, they can both say it is well because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. It is well for you if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior. And even, even, these are hard words for me, even through it all, it's still well. Through it all, it's, he's still good. He's good to me. And it's hard for me to say that. It honestly is at times. To be honest with you, it's really difficult. But through Christ, I have a power that is of him and not of me. Even when I don't feel like singing, I can faith my way through because of him. Because my feelings don't determine my destiny. My faith determines my destiny. And my faith in Jesus is secure. So you know that before I teach, it's secure in him. So, what beautiful music. Just to reflect on the goodness of God. If you're a guest here today, we love you at Sagemont. We're so glad you came. It's spring break. It's foggy. And, uh, and we didn't even do well on our clocks this, this year. And I'm still old school. We still go around the house and have to turn them. So that just dates me. But anyway, we're in Ephesians chapter 2. We're continuing just going through this mountaintop of grace that God has given to those in Christ and how Paul talks about how he made the two one. And we're in Ephesians chapter 2. If you're visiting with us, we're in verses 19 through 22 today. I want to entitle this, The Christ-Driven Church. The Christ-Given Church. Because last week we talked about how God can take two people who were at odds with each other for centuries and bring them into one new man because of the work of Christ. When you move from two to one, you don't have two anymore. You only have one. There's unity in the Spirit. So for those of us that are from different backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, racial backgrounds, listen, in Christ we've all become one. It's not that you're so-and-so from this state or so-and-so from this country. You're my brother. You're my sister. I can just call you by your name. You can call me by my name because we're one in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's been talking about. So he's He's talking about the one new man. Now he's talking about the church. He's talking about the church of Jesus Christ. So I want to entitle this the Christ-driven church. Um, and I'm not saying anything negative about a book that Rick Warren wrote called The Purpose-Driven Church. But I want to say this so you understand what I'm saying. The church, if it has purpose, it only has purpose because it's driven by Christ. A lot of churches go to adopt a book and a program and they plug the purpose-driven church. But their church isn't a Christ-driven church. So if you want to know what a Christ-driven church is, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 19 through 22. That is what says is. It is a Christ-driven church where Christ is the head and Christ brings us all together because we talked about that in Him is all the fullness. So if He has the fullness and He fills us up in Him, then His church is full. So we're full of people who've been saved by grace. So it's a Christ-driven church. I was watching uh, the Discovery Channel, don't say anything, and I was watching Extreme Engineering. They're starting to do some amazing things. They're 
talking about in Tokyo having what is called a sky city, that 100,000 people will live in the clouds somewhere. They're just going to build this tall architecture. It's going to be the tallest in the world. Then, then I even read an article in Extreme Engineering how they're looking at connecting London and New York with a tunnel about 350 feet below the sea. It's called the Transatlantic Tunnel, and they're going to possibly do this. They're talking about it, and, and it, they're going to have a train where you can have coffee in London on Monday morning and be at work in one hour as you travel 400,000 miles per hour. It's extreme engineering, and when you look at some of the feats, just Google it. it it's about the hands of man can do incredible things, but listen to me carefully. Jesus doesn't use his hands to build the church. He uses his spirit. It's not built by the hands of man. It's not extreme engineering. It's a stream makeover of the heart that Jesus does. So chapter 2 is where we are in verses 19 through 22. Let me read these and then we'll uh, look at the text. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Father, I pray you'd take this word today, the power-packed message of truth from your word, and you would speak to me and through me that together as a body of believers, as a body of Christ, we won't miss anything about what it means to be a Christ-driven church, to have Christ begin to build lives. It's not about buildings, it's about building lives. And so we thank you for your word. We, we thank you for the truth of your word. And we thank you that buildings can be a tool in which to reach people, but you build your church with people. So the next time somebody asks us, are you going to church, we say, we are the church. We are a people who have been saved by grace. I pray you'd speak clearly today and that you would encourage someone in their faith. And for those that it's not well with, they're, they're on the other side. They're in the family of Adam. They're in the family of sin. They've never crossed over to trust you as Savior and Lord. I pray today they would understand how powerful you are and how beautiful you are and how striking you are and how incredibly loving and patient you are. In Jesus' name, amen. So here in verse 19, here we go. It says this, now therefore. And I've told you when we look at now therefore, you have to look at what it's there for. So Paul is tying in everything he's talked about in chapters 1 and 2. And remember, we were aliens and strangers as Gentiles. And here's what he says. Now therefore, you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens. So the word for stranger would be like a tourist. That's what the word for stranger would be. So we're no longer tourists. Uh, when you go to a uh, different country or you go to a different land, you, you may be visiting, you may be on vacation, and you're a tourist. And everybody can tell that you're a tourist because you've got your head down and you're looking up and you're walking around and they can say, they're not one of us. It's a dead giveaway that you're a stranger and an alien to that land. So that's what the word stranger means. It means to be a tourist, if you will. You're, you're in the land, but you're not of the land. You're not a citizen. Then the word foreigner would mean that maybe you've planted a little bit. You've got a passport, so maybe you're going to stay for a little while, and you may even blend in with the crowd. You may even look like the crowd. They may 
even say after a while, I wonder if they're working on a mission here for three months or six months. So that would be like a foreigner would have a password, would have a passport. But then Paul says, but you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you're fellow citizens. In other words, you have a birth certificate. And the birth certificate is about your new birth, that you are a bit, you've been born again. You've been made new in Jesus Christ. So you, are not, you don't join the church. You're birthed into the church by the blood of Jesus Christ. And so that's important to understand. So what Paul does is says, listen, you remember what he's been saying to us. You're outside the house. We looked at this last week. In fact, Gentiles, we're way outside the house. We could only go to the court of the Gentiles. We talked about outside the temple. And then there were other people that could get a little closer. The court of the the men or the court of the women or the court of the priest. But what Paul is saying, because of Christ, those of you who were outside the house, you got near the house, but now you're in the house because of what Jesus Christ has done for you. You are fellow citizens. In other words, we belong here. This is my family. You're my family. I'm family to you. You're family to me. And sometimes families may disagree. But I tell you what, we can agree to disagree in the sense that we will disagree on little things and petty things, possibly preferences, but we'll never disagree on the fact that Jesus Christ's blood ran red and ties all of us together in this room. If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, you're a fellow citizen with me whether you like me or not. You're connected to me. And that's what makes this beautiful. This is God's church, and He will build His church. And if we will focus on Him, because the, the blood that ran red runs through our lives because of the forgiveness of sins. Now, the word citizens here, fellow citizens, it means that we have rights and we have responsibilities. Because I am in Texas... I am a citizen of the United States. I am in Texas. I live, well, I'm in Harris County. I live in Brazoria County. I have certain rights, and I have certain privileges. So you're not going to believe this. I have never worn a pair of boots in my life until this last week because I'm a citizen. And, you know, you, you can't live in Texas where everything's bigger and everything's better unless you have a pair of boots. And so we were, I have the right to get a pair of boots, and I have the responsibility in Texas to get a pair of boots. So me with my non-cowboy self the other day went down to Cavender Boots. And I went down to, and I've been watching Jonathan because he wears these boots. I used to think boots had to be real pointed, and I know I have wide feet, but they're, they're wide like this. So I told the guy when we got to Cavender's, I said, I've got a right and a responsibility to have some boots, but I've never worn any. And I said, tell me what I need to do. And he said, you don't need to go cheap, my friend. He said, you'll be, <laughs> so I didn't. For me, that's a miracle. Uh, so uh, I said, oh, God, this hurts. This really hurts. This really hurts. But anyway, so I got a pair of boots. I have a right and a responsibility. I had a staff party where we had rodeo day. And so I wore my boots. And it even dawned on me that I still have the receipt in my back pocket. And listen, I'm sketchy and I'm tight, so I I thought, you know, I can return, if I don't scuff these things up, I can return these boots and I can still be a citizen of the United States and of Texas and be faithful, but, you know, the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me get away with that. So I ended up making a hospital visit thinking, oh, these boots, they won't fit, they won't work, but they did. My point is this, as a citizen, the Bible says we're fellow citizens with the saints, 
The saints are those people who have trusted Christ as their Savior. Those people who are, have been brought into the family by the blood of Jesus Christ. So what Paul is saying, we have rights and responsibilities. Now, um, what, what I am loyal to is I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven, but I am living on this earth. Now listen, I have certain rights as a kingdom kid, and I have other rights as a kid of the citizen of the United States. And so I understand that I have voting rights. There are things that I can do as a privileged citizen here. And by the way, I'm just going to say this is not a political issue with me at all. It's a spiritual issue. Um, we, we are pro-life here at Sagemont, not because Sagemont says we're pro-life. God says he's pro-life. So that's where we stand. And so listen, as a citizen, you say, I have a right, but you also have a responsibility. And so we have a responsibility. If, if, if those who are unborn can't help themselves, we as people who understand the Scripture, we lift up Jesus and we say, He values life, so therefore I stand on the side of valuing life because He values life. So you don't even have to ask me where I vote. I vote God's way. That's what I vote. I vote this. This is what I vote. And it, well, anyway, I'll get emails. That's fine. So here's what I want to say to you. If you see it in verse 19 here, we're, we're no longer strangers. We're foreigners, but we're fellow citizens with the saints. Look at the text. And members of the household of God. Not only have we believed in Jesus, but we have belonged to him. We belong to him. His grace has brought us together. His mercy has touched our life. He has so overwhelmed us with love and grace that now we are of the household of God. That is my new identity. I am now in him. So those of us who were outside the house got near the house. Now we're inside the house. And actually, we are the house. I'll share with you that in just a moment. So we're all in the same house in this family. We have the same blood type. We've been adopted. We have the same financial position because we are debt-free when it comes to our sin. We are no longer citizens bound to our sin and to ourself. We've been set free, so we have the same position. We are debt-free. So we're inside the house. We believe and we belong. So how dare we ridicule somebody in the family when we have the same father? Think about that. Boy, I mean, you just live in this world for a little while, and people are ridiculing, talking about people, messing with people, saying bad things about people. But you see, we are all brought together into unity in Christ, and we have the same Father. So it doesn't matter what my background is. It doesn't matter what my past is. My past has been buried by the blood of Jesus, so therefore I'm a new creature in Him. Old things are passed away, and everything has become new. And so we're saints, and we're members of the household of God. Circle that word saint. Let me see if I can explain it to you this way. So you remember in Ephesians chapter 2, the first part of it, Paul says we've been raised to walk in the newness of life. Christ raised us from the dead. Just as Christ was raised from the dead, he has raised us from the dead. So what that means is if, if I'm a saint and I'm in the household of God and you're a saint and you're in the household of God, that means we have received as a gift resurrection power. Stay with me here. This is important to understand. So that means anything that happens in your life, 
you individually, you have resurrection power. And so what is resurrection power? It's the kind of power when God walked in, the Bible says that he raised Jesus from the dead. It's that kind of power, resurrection power, that your situation may look dead. It may look hopeless. And you may need to sing the song, through it all, through it all. But the same power that raised Jesus from the dead has raised you from the dead, and you are a saint in him. Now watch this. That's you, but that's also me. So every one of us in this room who have trusted Christ as our Savior have resurrection power because we're a part of the family of God. That's who we are. So you don't look at me and say, oh, you're really good. And I don't look at you and say, you're really good. I look at you and I look at me and I say, by grace we have been saved through faith. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So when Paul is talking about resurrection power, he's talking about power to do what you and I can't do in our own strength, but now because we're a part of the family. So think about our church. Think There's a service at 9.30 our senior pastor, Dr. Morgan, speaks at. I speak at this one. We have iConnects everywhere. Think about this. These are people who have trusted Christ as their Savior, so you release the power of God through our lives during the week, and you've got resurrection power going all over this community, all down the beltway, all this way, to the medical center. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. So I want you to understand, we're not strangers to this anymore. We're not alien to this anymore. We've been brought into the family by His grace. That's the church. That's the church. Now look at the text. It's getting hotter a little earlier today. Maybe I should preach on hell. Okay, here we go. Now he says, he's talking about the church, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. So he's talking about the apostles and the prophets, that they laid the foundation, that the church is situated on Christ and His Word. They were faithful to deliver the Word. They were faithful to present the Word of God. So the Word of God is the standard by which we measure all relationships. This is what he's saying here. He is the standard by which we measure all relationships. So it's built on the apostles and the prophets. The reason we don't need apostles and prophets is we have the totality of God's Word. So now we have the New Testament. We have the totality of God's Word. So we surrender and we submit to Christ and His Word. Because there is no church if you don't have Christ and His Word. We teach Jesus because we rally around Him because He unifies us and He unifies us around his word, not the last book that we read. I know that's going to meddle with somebody, and I'm going to get another email. It's okay. Listen, the best book I have ever read, read is this one right here. It is. And listen, I am for programs. I am for looking at going to conferences, but conferences and programs don't build the church. Jesus Christ being Christ-driven, it's his church, focusing on him as the chief cornerstone. That's how God builds his church. The focus is always on Jesus. It's never on a person. It's never on a people. It's always on Christ. And the apostles and the prophets laid the foundation and said, Jesus Christ himself is the chief cornerstone. Now, I've been to a lot of conferences, and, I, and they've been good ones. But here's what people make the mistake of. They go to a conference, they come back to their church, and they plug the material in, and, they, and God never said to do it. 
So the church, man, man can never bless you, but God can. So you do things God's way. You don't do things man's way. Man can't build the church. God can build the church. So here's why I'm encouraged today. When I think of Envision, when I think of the $1.5 million that we already have in the bank, that's good. Listen, but listen to me. And then I think about it's going to take all of us together as resurrected Christ in us. It's going to take all of us together yielding and surrendering and participating. It'll take the little gifts, the widow's might. It'll take the big gifts. But the most important thing on this journey of envision is that we don't forget about the journey. It's a journey. And maybe through some of these bake sales and maybe through uh, different things that we do together, maybe you're going to come together with people who you would never come together with because they don't look like you and they don't act like you. And we're thinking, well, we got to get that building built. We got to get that built. Listen to me. It's not our job to build that building. That's God's job. God has enough money to do it. And our student ministry is building into the lives of students. And the building is going to be wonderful. It's going to be a tool to reach people. And we're going to do it debt-free. There's a surprise for you. We're going to do it debt-free because that's God's way. But the most important thing is through this whole journey of envision is that we just stay focused on Jesus who is the chief cornerstone. And we do what God wants us to do. We give where he tells us to give. And then it's, we're blessed because we're a part of the body of Christ. That's what we're talking about here. Because we have another generation that's coming along. And we've got to be able to hand that baton to that generation. Many of us won't be here after, after that. They're, we're going to hand the baton off and they're going to carry the torch in this church. It's kind of like the 1988 Olympics, if you remember, in Seoul, Korea. Carl Lewis was the fastest man in the world. And do you know that the, the, the uh, United States team was supposed to win the whole sprint relay, but they never made it to the finals because the coach said, well, I'm going to save my A players till the end of the relay. We're going to let some other guys run in the preliminary. And I believe it was, uh, uh, his last name was Neil, and I think it was Calvin Smith. They had a problem passing off the baton. One of them wasn't going fast enough. They fumbled it, and there's a zone. There's a, it's called a relay zone, and you are disqualified if you can't pass the baton in the relay zone. And it's not that we didn't have the fastest people, but what a shame to not be able to go to the finals because you couldn't simply hand the baton off in the zone. And the goal in the heart of our church and the pastor and the staff is that we will hand off the baton in the zone that God has for us, and we will focus on Jesus Christ, and we'll hand the baton to the next generation, and they'll run with the torch, and they'll go with it focusing on the same Jesus that we're focusing on today. It's about him. It says that having built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. The, the cornerstone was the alignment stone. It was the stone that all other stones were laid upon to give unity and to give measurement. That's what the alignment stone was. And so, you know, if your car gets out of a line... I had one get out of alignment, and my tires started letting me know my car was out of alignment. So Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. It would be a, a big cornerstone where the structure would be built, and all the other stones would be laid in symmetry and purpose and unity together. And they all rallied around Jesus Christ as the chief cornerstone. So let's don't forget that he is the leader of this church. He's the one that's shepherding us. He's the one that's moving us toward himself. And so it's a beautiful thing that you see how God is building his church. Now look at verse 21. Here's what the text says. In whom, 
the whole building being fitted together grows into the holy temple in the Lord. So the idea of being fitted together is that God fits living stones like 1 Peter talks about. He fits us on the chief cornerstone and we're built upon brick upon brick upon brick. You bring your gifts to the table. I bring my gifts to the table that have been given to me by God. And he, he fits them perfectly. So my job is not to fit myself into the church and to fit myself into the body of Christ. My job is to live in such a way that I yield to him and let him fit me where he wants to fit me. And for you too. See, you have gifts you bring to the table. You have beautiful gifts that God has given you that are striking, that are beautiful, and he wants to fit you and put you perfectly in symmetry and uni with who he is. And so we're all being fit together. The church is not a debate club, and I'm thankful we don't have to do that around here. It's a unified club. It's a unified, uh, it's it's a living uh, organism. It's a a church. It's not an organization. It's, It's unity among diversity. I played basketball at Dobie High School in 1983, and we had the same uniform. You could look out there and say, you all have longhorns on your uniform. And we all had the socks to right here, the Chuck Taylors. We had all that, the short shorts. And you know what? The seniors didn't like the juniors, and the juniors didn't like the seniors, and the sophomores wouldn't pass to the seniors, and the juniors would only pass to juniors. But we looked like we were all on the same team, and we were very much unified in our uniform, but we were not unified. Our uniform spoke one thing. Our lifestyle spoke another. And Paul says in the church, it's diversity that creates the unity in the body of Christ. You don't have to be good. You say, I've got to really be good at this before I can dig in, before I can engage in the church, before I can join this church or be born into this church. I really have to be perfect at what I do. Listen, the church isn't for perfect people. It's for people who aren't perfect. It's for people who are broken, like the song says, that we're broken inside. But God takes broken people that he's perfected and he fits us together and he creates unity with diversity so that we can honor one another, so that we can prefer one another. And watch this, diversity is not a problem in our church, it's an advantage. It's an advantage in our church. When I look out here and I see all the diversity, someone might say, oh, that's a problem. No, it's an advantage according to Scripture. God brings us together in the oneness of His Spirit. It's a beautiful thing because there are certain people that I would have never moved toward on my own. Because I like my crowd. I like my people. We talk alike. We act alike. We vote alike. We, we go places together. And we go to the same place alike. But sometimes God moves you to people and He redefines His love for other people through you when you understand how diversified He wants to be in your life and how much unity He wants to bring. Do you understand what Paul is saying here? He's saying you have to welcome all people into your life because of what Jesus has done for you. Let me see if I can say it like this. I am welcoming people into my life But not only am I welcoming welcoming them into my life, I am welcoming them into my heart forever because of what he's done. Just look around. 
We have people that are so diverse, but we are so unified. We don't focus on our diversity. We focus on our unity. We focus on Christ who brings unity. We don't say, I like this song. I don't like this song. I I don't like this song. I like this song. We say, if the music's about him, I'll focus on him. I can sing It Is Well, which is a hymn, or I can sing Move, which is a new song. As long as it's talking and pointing me to Jesus, I'm unified in that. And that's what Paul's saying here. He's saying be unified. Be unified in your life. And that's what he's saying here, that we're fitted together. And then he says we grow. Look at this. Spiritual growth. We grow into a holy temple. Look at the text. In the Lord. We grow into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, there's no special secret sauce in the church that you have to put this sauce on, and then it's going to be really good. I went to eat at, uh, I think it was El Temple. Tempeh, tempeh, something like that. All I know is it's high dollar. That's all I know. One enchilada cost me a week's worth. But anyway, but it was good. And after it was over with, my wife had this special sauce, and she, she went up to the manager and said, what is in this special sauce? And he gave the secret away. He gave the ingredient away. And he said, this is what we do. This is how we mix it. Now, here's what I want to say to you about the church. There's no special sauce. There's no special secret because we focus on the one who gave himself for the church and we focus on the one who has all the fullness in him. So it's no special program or special sauce that you put here, that you put here. We just keep our eyes on him and we walk with him and we say, thank you, Jesus, for your grace and your your mercy, and I want to do my part. See, some of you are spectators. You're kind of thinking, you know, I just don't know about the church. I'm just not quite ready to, to dive into the body of Christ and to the church. Why not? Don't wait for it to be perfect. It's never going to be perfect. But this isn't for perfect people. Perfect people don't need grace. They don't need mercy. They don't need any help and encouragement. We're just broken people who are dependent upon Him and saying, God, in our weakness, would you make your strength evident in my life? Make yourself strong. So he says we're fitted together and we grow into a holy temple. Look at the text. In the Lord. So when he would say the word temple, lights would go off in the minds of the readers. They would think of the temple. They would think of the temple in Jerusalem. They would think of the era of the tabernacle where God's presence would dwell in a, a, a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. So they would think of the tabernacle. And then they would move to the presence or the temple era. And, and then at the temple era, we, they would understand when he says what grows into the holy temple in the Lord. So they would actually be thinking of that structure of the temple. And you remember that God dwelt most powerfully in the holy of holies in the temple. But here's what God's saying here. Now he dwells in you. He dwells in you. He dwells in me. Grows into a holy temple. So temple would mean three things for them. They would think of the structure. The second thing they would think of, there are priests who serve in the temple. Follow me on this illustration. So there are priests who serve in the temple, and then there's the structure, there's the priests who serve in the temple, and then there's sacrifices that are made in the temple. Now, if you came to the temple, you would come to the structure back in this day, and you, if you brought a sacrifice, you would have to hand your sacrifice off to a priest. Or actually, if you would bring your prayer, the priests were the ones that would handle your prayer. So you would bring your prayers, and they would send up smoke and incense, and 
They were God's representatives on behalf of the people, so you would, you would handle, they would handle your prayers, and, and, and they would send them up to God because you couldn't do that for yourself. Now, Paul's saying in the New Testament that you don't need to hand off your prayers to anybody. Because you're a holy nation. You're the righteousness of God. You're a royal priesthood, the Bible says. So because of what Jesus has done, I don't have to come and hand off anything to anybody. I can bend my own knee down, and I can pray for my own self, and I can lay hands on my own self because I have direct access to Him through Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. It's a beautiful thing. So you come to the temple, you say, where's the temple? Someone says, it's in you. You say, where's the priest? I am the priest. Watch this. You couldn't even bring your sacrifice to the temple on, on your own. You would have to hand your sacrifice off to a priest. And the priest would make the sacrifice for you. Take this. Romans 12 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself as a living sacrifice. I don't have to hand myself off to somebody else. I become the sacrifice. In the Old Testament, they would hand off the sacrifice. In the New Testament, I am the sacrifice. I am the priest. I am the sacrifice. I need nobody to go to God for me but me by myself. That's what Paul says is the church. Now watch this. You can live in community. You can take and, and take that individual relationship with Jesus and you can develop relationships with other people who have a like heart and a like mind because you're welcoming them not only into your life, but into your heart forever. So now here's what he says. Look at the text. In whom the whole building being fitted together grows into the holy temple. Look at the text. In the Lord, in whom you also are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. Here's what Paul is saying. Circle the phrase, you also. You also in Ephesus. You also in Houston. You also at Sagemont are being built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. We're in progress. We're a work in progress. That's what he's saying. Being built. Freeman, you're a work of construction. You're, you're a, a work of progress under construction where the Holy Spirit is chipping away and chiseling at the rough edges of your life. So don't get frustrated, Freeman, when you don't see it all coming together. Just know that he's at work. All things work together for good for those that love God and are called according to his purpose. But we're being conformed into the image of Christ, so he's chiseling away. He's working at the rough edges of my life. And when I am being built up in him and we are being built together for a dwelling place, that's a happy place. That's a good place to be in. That's a place where I can step back and say, you know what? I don't need to fight against this. I can embrace the work that God's doing in my life. And I can trust him because he has my best interest in mind. And he is working out something in my life. And he's working out something in your life that only he can do. And he only does this as we yield and surrender to him and bow before him and trust him and get on our knees before him and say, God, just do whatever you can do through my life. Use me. I pray for usability in my life, God. You want to be a vessel of honor and you want to be a vessel of truth and truth and mercy go together. I have experienced your mercy and now because of your mercy, my life is built upon your truth. So I love people in a truthful relationship and I speak the truth to people, but I always do it wrapped in love. See what Paul's saying here? We're being fitted together. 
So when I think about the future of Sagemont and I think about uh, the future of what God has for all of us in this place as we are here and the dwelling place of God, I kind of really get excited about that because it doesn't depend on you and it doesn't depend on me. It depends on the one who the church is built around. So if we'll focus on him, if we'll harness our energy and trust his power and his life and his grace because what has happened when you think about being built The blood of the Lamb has flowed freely in our lives. And forgiveness has been free. And inclusion is free. And cleansing is free. And forgiveness is free. And so it's not a special interest group that we get together on Sunday morning and say, you know, I hope we can get along for about an hour on Sunday morning because then we'll break huddle and we'll get out of here. Listen, we're in this thing for life forever for good because of Him. So we're family. So you respect the gifts that I have. I respect the gifts that you have. And we never say, look at my gift. We always say, look at the Savior who by grace gave us the gifts. See, that's where churches get in trouble. They start focusing, do you have this gift? Do I have that gift? Listen, I got the gift of all gifts in Jesus Christ. And because of that gift that I have, when I yield to him and he manifests his power, then the church is being built, look at the text, together. Together we are better. Not as silo individual ministries, but together we're better because you bring gifts to the table and I bring gifts to the table that glorify him. And where I'm really, really bad, like administration, There's some people on staff that are super, super good at it. And I think, well, how do you do that? And God says, that's why it's called a supernatural gift. I gave it to them. What would kill you for nine hours will take them 12 minutes to do because I've gifted them. For them to get up and do what I'm doing, they would throw up, pass out, be at the Memorial Hospital. It's not their gift. But listen... When we take our individual gifts that have been given to us by the giver of grace and we focus on the grace of God in the gift of God, then together we are being built into the body of Christ. And when the world sees a unified bunch of people like us together, they want to say, how do y'all do this thing together? How do y'all do life together? And we say, let us introduce you to his name, Jesus Christ. That's how we do it. All right? Now, here's where the last thing, and I'll close with this. Notice what the text says. We're built together for a dwelling place of God in the Spirit. The word dwell means to make yourself at home with. Do you understand what Paul's saying here? It means to be down home. From the deep south where I come from, there's a lot of good southern hospitality. I would go to somebody's house and they would say, take your shoes off, stay for a while. Sounds like a, yeah. Take your shoes off, stay for a while. And whatever room you want to go into this house, it's yours. You need some Bluebell? You can go over here. You, you can even get Bluebell out of state. You have to ship it in, but you can get it. But, you know, you go into somebody's house and they say, oh, don't touch this. Oh, don't touch that. Oh, you can't go in there. Just go, don't, no, don't go into that room. Don't. And they kind of limit the area that you have. Paul says that Jesus wants to make his dwelling in you. He wants to make his home in your life. And I make my life into his house. We were outside the house. We were near the house. We were in the house. And Paul says, guess what? You are the house. You are the dwelling place of God. Is it well with your soul this morning? Would you like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ? For some of you, there's just no peace. There's no joy. 
I mean, you know you're outside the house of God because there's no peace, there's no joy, there's no happiness, there's not an extent of a relationship that's been given to you. But Jesus has already paid for that. He's already died on the cross. He's already been buried. And He rose again on the third day so that He, when you reveal, when you invite Him to come into your life, He comes in to take over. And He can take the dead areas of your life, and He can bring those areas to life. And you can allow Him to come into your life and forgive you of your sins, and you can forever live in His eternal home, not only in heaven, but in your heart. He wants a dwelling place in you. If that's you this morning and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, why wouldn't you do that today? Why wouldn't you receive the free gift of salvation that Paul's talking about, that He'll make you one new man, He'll bring his life into you. And you'll have peace tonight. You'll have joy tonight. You know, maybe it's that you need to be baptized. We had four beautiful people baptized today. And baptism doesn't save you. But it's a step of obedience. They were baptized not in order to be saved, but because they have been saved. And so so that is a beautiful picture. Some of you need to follow that step in baptism. Others of you today, maybe you're you're just broken inside. And the song said, through it all, and you are just crushed under the weight of some situation. Can I tell you, God still loves you in the midst of your situation. And he wants a relationship with you. Would you just bow your head and pray with me this morning? I don't know where you are and and, and what's beautiful about this. I don't have to. God knows on Time Change Sunday... On a foggy morning, spring break weekend, that you'd be sitting here listening to a guy who's broken give you a message of hope because of the hope that God has put in me. And your heart may be shattered today. Your heart may be broken. You're dealing with situation after situation after situation. And you're trying to manifest and measure up and do enough good just to get it through. But here's what God says. You don't have to do that. I have come that you don't have to do what you could normally do. You can surrender to me. You can yield to me. You could trust me today. Through it all, through whatever situation you're facing this morning, you can honestly say as we leave this place today, if you will invite Jesus Christ into your heart by faith, Like right now, just say, Jesus, save me. I repent. I turn. I'm desperate. I don't even know what to do other than say, I cry out to you. And he hears your cry, the cry of the brokenhearted. When you receive Jesus into your life, you've got life in you. And we're talking about resurrection life. Would you just receive that this morning? As the band just plays, would you just, in your heart and in your mind... Would you just recognize how much God loves you? He loves you so much. He cares for you so deeply. It doesn't matter what you're facing. He's already faced everything. There's nothing that a resurrected Jesus can't go into your life and do that God didn't work when he raised Christ from the dead. All power was given to him in heaven and earth. And Jesus Christ can save you today from your sins. Receive the free gift of salvation. Just say, save me, Jesus, and he will. For some of you, you need to be obedient to the Lord in baptism. 
you were encouraged today, take that step of obedience. Others of you, you got a situation. You got a difficulty. You got a heartache. And you're trying to say it is well with my soul, but you can't get there. I'm going to tell you what, by faith you can. By faith in Jesus. Don't focus on your situation. That'll drown you. It'll feel like you're getting hit with wave after wave after wave when you think about your situation. Why don't you focus on the Savior today and let Him take care of whatever situation you're in? Get your eyes off the situation and get your eyes on Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of your faith, and focus on Him. He Himself can pull you through. And it doesn't mean that you won't go through when He pulls you through. It doesn't mean He'll pull you out of what you're doing. It means He'll give you a peace that passes all understanding. It's not that you won't go through you will go through it but you'll go through it with him and he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you would you just lay that before the Lord today whatever it is just yield yourself to him so we can be the church together oh father do a work in our lives and our hearts thank you for our I connect classes our services that point to you our worship that points to you and you are building fitting us into the body of Christ right here at Sagemont. And it's a blessing to be able to be with people that are a one new man or one new woman in Christ. You do great things, and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.